0: This is The Literary Life. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. I've owned Books and Books and been a bookseller for over 35 years. What you're about to hear are conversations about all things literary, with writers, readers, publishers, old friends, new friends, and anyone who might wander into our store with an interesting story to tell about their connection to books, reading, or writing. These will be informal, over the backyard fence kind of conversations. The kind I and booksellers everywhere have each and every day. Amy Fine Collins, a longtime special correspondent to Vanity Fair. She's also written or contributed to numerous books on fashion and art. It's often been said that she's been amused to many designers, most notably Jeffrey Bean. She entered also the International Best Dressed list in 1996, before joining Vanity Fair, she taught at Columbia University, and starting last year, she began collaborating with Graydon Carter on his Airmail magazine. And if you haven't read Airmail magazine, you should make sure that you sign up for it because it's quite good. Um, Amy, welcome to Literary Life.
1: Thank you for having me, Mitchell.
0: This is a fabulous book. Amy's here today because Bertoli has just brought out the International Best Dressed List, the official story. So for kind of a neophyte like me um, or a naive person like me, will you tell me what exactly the International Best Dressed List really is and why there's an official story about it?
1: Okay, I'm I'm not buying that you're naive or a neophyte. (laughs) But the International Best Dressed List was started in 1940 by a woman named Eleanor Lambert who was the publicity sorceress of fashion. She pretty much invented the publicity business so far as fashion is concerned. And before that, she was an art publicist, a profession she more or less invented too. She was the publicist for the Whitney Museum upon its founding. Her dad was a carnival or circus advance Man, so in Indiana, so you can see where this so comes from. In, she had that in her blood. She had it in her blood. And so when World War II was looming, the dress manufacturers and the labor unions started panicking, not because Poland was being invaded and kids were being evacuated from London, but because they were worried about selling dresses. So, and also the news from France was being cut off. All the news from France was essential because Paris fashion dictated what the 7th Avenue manufacturers would create and what America would wear. So something called the Dress Institute, a consortium of labor unions and manufacturers, already an unusual alliance, hired Eleanor Lambert to stimulate the buying and wearing of clothing, 1940. So she came up with a few tools who, which were very effective. One of them was New York Fashion Week, which is.
0: That was something she came up with. Yes. Oh, how interesting.
1: It began with Eleanor Lambert, it was called New York press week at the time she also came up with the international best dress list
0: this was all during the war during the this was this was
1: all yeah 1940 and then moving through the 40s she also invented the met gala the party of the year it was called then
0: which is still going strong. still
1: going strong and she was a co-founder of the Costume Institute, and later on, we're going up to 1962 now, she started the CFDA, the Council of Fashion Designers of America, which is the governing body of fashion, which gives out awards like Oscars. So essentially there would be no American fashion as we know it. Without her. Without her, exactly. And
0: to, for historical context, who were some of the folks in the 40s who were on that best-dressed list?
1: Well, in the beginning... Eleanor wanted to have American women on the list. There was a certain element of patriotism because of the war. Of course. And we have. So it
0: wasn't as international as it is now, in a sense.
1: Not quite yet, although the clothing a lot of the women were wearing did come from abroad we had uh, Millicent Rogers, who was a standard oil heiress, and she was extremely eccentric in her dress. And Cecil Beaton wrote that anyone who ever looked upon her would never forget the occasion. She was known for changing dresses between courses of meals, uh, pretending to have spilled something on them. But she also was a serious person who was an advocate for indigenous people's rights, and she wore lots of Navajo jewelry and made it herself. So she was a a typical list winner at the time. Another one would have been, another American one would have been Mona Williams, who I think wins the prize for the most married woman on the international best dress list five times, married to the richest guy in America, and known to be the most beautiful and the best dressed.
0: And you know, I fl- I was looking yes. through the book, and you have a lot of these folks, obviously, you have pictures of them, and it's a beautiful, beautiful representation of the early days leading up to today as well.
1: Yes. The the great thing about this list is that from these beginnings that that I'm discussing, the list just keeps going. No one was more astonished by its longevity than Eleanor Lambert herself. So it becomes, as the years pass, a permanent record not only of of fashion, of style excellence, it becomes a record of the times in which we have lived, a snapshot of the culture, seen one year at a time through the lens of fashion. So any any year you can look at the list of winners and almost reconstruct what happened that year. 1943, if we're back in the 40s, Madame Ching Kai Chek right. wins. Why? Because she was in America trying to hustle support for her husband. It's a it's a fashion history as well. I mean, you can you can follow who the most influential designers were going from the beginning up till present day. And many of the designers themselves ended up on the international best dress list because they themselves were setting trends, not only in what they created, but how they presented right. themselves. Men entered the list in 1968. The 60s- Oh, so that was late? It was quite late. The 1960s is always an interesting decade because everything got Shaken up, and you right. see that reflected in the list as well. I mean, there there was a sexual revolution, and the Peacock Revolution in menswear, and the beginning of of gay rights right. movements, and so it just became a natural extension of all these cultural shifts. That you know, why not include men first? In sixty six, she had Eleanor had uh, fashion professionals just male fashion professionals. In 68, they had um, the first men's division of the list. And you know, one year later, there was the first African-American man on the list. And those are more changes so that the, you see on so, the list.
0: So in the 60s, it was like the 60s, it yes. was a big upheaval yes. for the list as well as culture in general. What yes. are some of your sort of highlight moments from the 60s and the list? Was it the first black woman on the list? Was it? Was Tom Wolfe in the sixties? Did he Tom Wolfe was list? in the eighties? Where he, he, where he
1: kind of belongs. I mean, that's the, right. was the bonfire of the values moment. Right. But the the very first African American woman on the list was Diane Carroll, and at that time. Oh it Diane Carroll! Oh, yes, wow. yes, yes, she was amazing. It was when she, she died last year, I think. She died in or a couple of years di- ago. No, no, very recently. I was at her memorial service yeah. in December. Yeah, it just, I believe. It just happened. Yeah, it was it was well, a very glamorous right. memorial service, and everyone talked about how they had to up their game around Miss Carroll. Lenny Kravitz, who knew he grew up in right. her house. so oh, that I didn't. Because know. they're uh, his mom was best friends with her, and Lenny's on the list too. But in 1968, she became the first African American woman on the list. And it was at the time she was doing the TV series Julia, which was the which first. Which is how woman. I remember her. Yes. The, well, some people remember her from Dynasty. I remember right. her from Julia. But people, even older than us, think of well, her she was a film star too she was a film star but a broadway star right. first she was in the richard Rogers musical no strings 61 i think oh, she is won that a tony right? it was that about I an, didn't know. an interracial romance between oh, a black woman and a white dress manufacturer so wow. so it, that was quite a change in the 60s that she was included how did i get involved in all of this It was through Eleanor Lambert. Eleanor, when I met her, was at least 90 years old. Wow. This woman lived till 100. She died at 100 in 2003, working every single day. And she was so savvy. She was always looking, as a vampire would, for fresh young blood to feed on. And I mean that in the best way because she did not want her brain to go stale or her entity, the the list to go stale. She was looking for new names, new people, uh, new ideas. So through my close relationship with Jeffrey Bean, which you mentioned, Whom she adored, and a few other elders of that world, like the photographer Horst. She was introduced to me, and we hit it off immediately. And she lived right nearby me, too. So, I mean, I was in and out of her life, like I was practically living in her pocket for years. And I just loved her. I loved her very, very much. She sounds like
0: a fascinating woman. Fascinating.
1: Fascinating. And I'm sure if you were an adversary or competitor, or if you didn't sign up with her to be a client when she was doing her publicity, she could make things troublesome. But the woman had a huge heart. And... You know, she was the kind of woman that would just hold your hand, just with affection. So did you
0: did you did you write write about her in Vanity Fair? Only
1: posthumously. I did a a big story on her after she died. Although I started interviewing her for a story before she died, and it just didn't it didn't feel right Right. because we were too too close. But I kept the notes, and they were incorporated into the story. Now
0: did you <clears throat> did you meet Jeffrey Bean because you wrote about him or did you meet him just in your the circles, New York circles in a sense or
1: my writing took me places I never would have gone with without the the vehicle, without the medium of a pen. I was an art historian I was teaching at Columbia, Yes, which I, I believe you mentioned, and I always gravitated to fashion. At that time, fashion was beneath consideration in academia, and I had all these ideas about how to write about fashion in an art historical way, which was of little interest to the Columbia faculty. But I did it anyway in other places. And at the time, there was a supplement to the Village Voice called the V section, edited by a brilliant woman called Mary Peacock. And it was very, very smart writing about design and style. And Mr. Bean had a retrospective at the time, 25 years of his work. And I decided I was going to review it for the V-section, but as an art historian, art critic, it didn't even occur to me to interview Mr. Bean, because you write about the objects. Right, not about- The objects, not about the, the person. So I wrote an article, a review really, of the show, and it was called, The Wearable Rightness of Bean. And that was that, and then one day, I received a handwritten note and some flowers from Mr. Bean saying, how is it that we have never met and you understand me better than I understand myself? Can we have lunch? Oh, wow. So it was kind of like a first date. And then, you know, 14, 15, 16 years, we were inseparable in, in many ways. And I, I think I, the last... Third, I suppose it would be, of his career was influenced by me, but the influence, of course, went more even in my direction because mm-hmm. I was, I was the, the young one absorbing knowledge. And Did he t-
0: design with you in mind, do you Yes,
1: think? Almost, most certainly. Wow. He had a mannequin called Amy, and yeah, every single sample he made fit me perfectly but he didn't I was not his fit model his fit model looked kind of like me I, but I was like the real live version of this idea that he had. Well, how
0: do you as an art historian yeah. the evolution of fashion mm-hmm. photography mm-hmm. I see it as a bookseller who specializes yes, in art books yes. and photography books the evolution of fashion photography has been astounding actually how have you what is your impression of it?
1: Well, you always had people working yes.
0: both sides. The, you know, they would often either be they would do fashion for money, but then right. they would also do their own stuff too. Yes, but then it sort of blended together t- at some point. Well,
1: there was that whole idea about fashion being inferior, which still right. exists to some extent these days, be, as an inferior art form. Because um, my theory is that it's kind of a, a ghetto for women and gay men, and therefore the reporting on it, that, I mean, just the red carpet reporting. It, you could never have sports commentators talking with so little knowledge about right. a game. I mean, it's it's just right. extraordinary how dumb... How
0: little them. people know that.
1: And, well, how dumbed down it, it is presented. There are people who know about it and not... Well, we just had lot. the
0: Academy Awards, so all you yes. have to do is watch that. Yes. That's what, oh, so that illustrates little, yes. what you're... Yes. Talking about They're,
1: the people who know about fashion are not <clears throat> the ones commenting right. on it on on the whole. So how
0: has how has social media influenced all of that as well, and how has it influenced the way we view fashion?
1: Social media has been a mixed blessing for everything. Oh, for everything, it's been most a, definitely. it's been a destroyer of some very Im- important parts of our culture, and its I think it's made a neurological and psychological mess out of a whole generation of young kids. Now, on the upside for fashion, fashion is a visual language. So Instagram is a, a medium which is saturated with images, and and you can see more fashion. More people can see more fashion. It's a universal language, so no matter where you're living... It means something to see these images and and to have them accessible, not just because you're a retail executive at Bergdorf Goodman, but you're you know a kid living somewhere in a um, remote where you don't town. have access to it. Yeah, than. it's amazing how when you see images on Instagram, historical images, they never have a date or a context. It's just like it's one true. big flat. Homogenized feel, and it's created, I think, chaos and anxiety, and the and the influencers have lost the idea of authenticity because every, everyone's onto They're them. Getting paid, yeah. For it. <laughs> so um, we yeah, have. Yeah, you're right
0: about all that. And and the other question that comes to mind is, and we talked a little bit about it before we started speaking, mm-hmm. is what what can we all learn from fashion. What broader lessons does fashion have for us in culture in general?
1: Well, The first, the primal fascinating fact about fashion is that everyone gets dressed every day. So we all wear clothing. So it's this great uniting fact of humanity. Now, Fashion also always reflects the culture that we live in, and I have seen how fashion has the aims of fashion, or or the aims of, let's say, women and men who are buying clothes maybe 30, 40 years ago was to be elegant, sophisticated... Um, appropriate, alluring. Then it began to move to looking young. Right. Not sophisticated. Looking young. And then looking cool. And then looking sexy. So that says a lot about where our culture has gone. I'm just beginning to see a backlash against the sort of over sexuality in, in fashion. And things got so naked and so nude, it wasn't really clothes anymore. And I'm talking about teenagers. When, when I was watching the Oscars and looking at Billie Eilish, right? what she was wearing fascinated me because it was the opposite of what you would see on Rihanna, who's maybe just a dozen years older than she. Nothing like what you would see on Beyoncé. Her whole body was covered. Everything was oversized. It it wasn't quite androgynous. It was just like, yeah, I know I have I have a body. It was a but- little like
0: Francis McDormand, sort of, in an interesting way. You know, in other words, I hadn't thought of that. It was a yeah. kind of a kind of attempt. To to know that you had to wear something striking, yes, but it didn't necessarily have to be in the language of fashion, as everybody else spoke it in a sense.
1: Well, this may be the new way that that fashion is going to be spoken. This may be the new vocabulary, right? It might be, which leads me coming. to the
0: whole idea of right. you know, just like there's high art and low mm-hmm. art. What do we? How do you figure and how do you approach things like? you know hip hop fashion street street fashion is it fashion is it not you know people who are you know sort of i mean you mentioned uh, Lenny Kravitz in the you know before yes. you know um, people who are wearing things that aren't you know uh, you know by the couture the creators of couture fashion
1: well fashion is very cannibalistic uh, they eat up everything. Like someone like Salerant would would say that he got his inspiration from the street. That was something new back then. He meant things like pea coats and and um, motorcycle jackets. But the streetwear that you're thinking of, and you know a lot about fashion, Mitchell. If you're <laughs> talking about Streetwear. kids. And, okay. <laughs> well, you listen to them then, and yes, they talk I to you. Yes, I watch
0: them. <laughs> but, you know, how much, we, how much sports figures have played in this? Basketball players. Oh, yes. I mean, hugely, they're, you know, in terms they're of They're big,
1: big factors. in. <gasps> yeah. they, they're becoming brands. They're becoming fashion brands now. The, the streetwear has been appropriated by the big companies like, LVMH, etc. And so it it becomes kind of inauthentic. There are companies like Supreme where people wait in line to buy... Just to get a
0: pair of sneakers or something. Yes, yes.
1: And I I feel like some of these kids are being taken for a ride. Like, you know, go to... Whatever in New York, I would say models like get get your get your sweats there, your sneaks there. It doesn't have the the name brand on it, but it it's also I mean there's much bigger profit margins for that kind of clothing well,
0: I think I think what we're talking about is the commodification yeah. of of the art of fashion and how it becomes commodified and how it's a business ultimately. And so people are looking f- to how to use these brands yeah. to sell things one way or another. So Supreme does that, and then they and then they 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 put brands together and create things. It's been very creative to watch. It's, you it's know, interesting. as a business person, you yeah. know. To, so to bring you back to the international best dressed list, it seems like this is a much more. Um, I should say, a a much less chaotic and a much more orderly way of looking at fashion, in a sense, that you create this list. And then, in essence, it's, you know, people look at it, accept it, and that becomes something which defines a period, unlike this chaotic world we're living in right now. And so it provides, actually, a pretty interesting dynamic. How is the list chosen? How does that the, happen?
1: The list was always from the beginning, a poll. The first, the original name of it was the best-dressed poll. So ballots are sent out. People vote. This year, for the first time, we did it digitally, believe it or not, through airmail.
0: Oh, through airmail, air the, uh, the, the magazine. Yes,
1: not not little uh, yeah. letters <laughs> going out on planes, but but gradings um, airmail. So first, there was a, a vote. That's tabulated from the the ballots. And after all the results, the returns are tabulated, then there's a committee that meets. Eleanor established a committee in the early sixties because the number of voters just ballooned to so many thousands that it became unwieldy. So I like to make the comparison between the way we conduct the best dress list and the way the American presidential elections take place <laughs> when it works. I think ours is working better than, than this current system. We have an electoral college. That These ever days it me. is. Yeah.
0: We're on the eve of the New Hampshire primary. We just yes. saw what happened in Iowa. Yes. But let me add, you know, we're, we're coming right. up to a point, just so you know, the noise that everyone's hearing in the background is that we just finished one event and we're about to start Amy's mm-hmm. event as well. But I have a very important question okay. because I'm fascinated by our conversation. And I I think, I know that this is your book, which is a beautiful book that Rizzoli published. And I recommend that everybody go out and buy it because it's kind of remarkable. There's a... Introduction by Graydon Carter, a forward by Carolina Herrera, and just you open it up to any page and you're surprised by who you see. I saw Tom Wolfe. I saw... Did I see any other writers in it? I don't know if I did. But there could be.
1: There there are other writers on the list. But, I mean, you have heads of state that you wouldn't... Exp- and, and first ladies I mean, yeah.
0: and all of that sort of thing. It's a fascinating book. But I'm interested also... In your life story, and does that are we going to see an autobiography at some point from you? Are we going to see your story being
1: told by me? By you? <laughs> it's possible I could do a memoir, but my question is, would anybody want to read that?
0: Look, we we recently met just <laughs> within the last couple hours. And I can say just from the short time that we've been together, that yes, there would be people very much interested to know and to understand your take on the world that you wrote about and you were watching, and yet you had a very significant role in as well. So I would say yes.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm used to being object more than subject, but uh, first person is worth a try.
0: Okay, and that'll be the next time you come on, hopefully. Oh my gosh. When you're touring for your book. For
1: my. Okay. But I want to thank you. you.
0: I want to thank you so much, Amy Fine Fine Collins, for being on the Literary Life today. The book is the International Best Dressed List, the official story, just published by Rizzoli. And I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. I did
1: too. Thank you for having me again.